All right. If you guys don't mind, if you could stand for the reading of God's word. The passage this morning comes from Romans chapter 11. We've been in Romans uh, for a while now. This is known as the doxology. Verse 33, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word. Man, I tell you what, when you read Romans and we've dug in pretty deep over the last few weeks and digging through Romans chapter nine and talking about the the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility um, and chapter 10 and kind of really leading us up to today and talking about this idea of the apostle Paul is, is not leading The church in Rome is not leading people to anything but worship because he knows at the end of the day that is what God is leading us to do. That the best thing for us is that we would surrender our lives completely and fully to Jesus. And as I as I look at this and as I read this passage, it made me just think of I just had a birthday, um, uh, 49 years old. It just doesn't it doesn't register with me. Like it's like I'm in my 50th year. Like I got less you know, on, that I'm tracking with, then I've already cashed in. You know what I mean? That starts to mess with you. People say, you know, I, you know, I know, I know people are like, yeah, you're, you're still young, plenty of good years. Yeah, I know. That's what people say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when my kids were young, they would give me gifts. And I love, I love receiving gifts for my kids. It's fantastic. It's amazing. They would, you know, crayon the card, you know, you'd have that on there and you get it. It's nothing more special. Now they actually have their own money and they can buy stuff, which they don't. Um, <laughs> but back then they would buy things. But the, the, the funny thing is, and C.S. Lewis says this about God in, in Romans chapter 11, is that, is that it's with my money <laughs> that they're buying those gifts. Now, do I love it? Absolutely. But God's the one with the big wallet. He is the one with all the money. He is the one with all of the knowledge. He is the one that has all of the plans. And in this moment, right now, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's standing in awe of the gospel, which he's taken 10, almost uh, halfway through another chapter in 11 to talk about what we sometimes just say in a phrase, you know, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins right? That he was resurrected from the dead. And now I have eternal life and I get to spend eternity with Jesus. Now that is all truth. But the apostle Paul knows that it's deeper than that. Like we said last week, he knows that, you know, when you get to that place, that almost seems like a consolation prod. Like I get to go to heaven. Yay. And now I'm going to go back and live my life. But he's, he's leading the people in worship. He's leading them to this place that he's gotten to and he's woken up and he's expressing his heart and in his mind in worship here as he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I, I can't even imagine who he is. I can't fully scratch the surface. I have tried to for 10 chapters, give you a glimpse but even I have no idea the heights, the depths, the, the, the distance in which God had to come in order to intersect me in my sin because he is other than us and he is holy. And right here, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm just privileged. I stand in awe 
I can't give him anything, but I owe him everything. But he's the one with the big wallet. He's smarter than me, bigger than me, better than me. But he cares for me. He loves me and he's my dad. And when I, when I read this, all I could think about, you know, and as I was preparing, I talked to pre-service, you know, we, I, I had, I didn't want, I have, we have a rise series because we plan on doing more than one rise gathering, by the way. Um, and we also are in Romans. So this week I was kind of moving in, in two directions, but it really, both of them culminated in similar places and in, in different passages, but it really today is all about worship and Somebody said it this morning and I couldn't believe it because it's in, it was in my notes, but we, there's a lot of things we don't have control over. We certainly don't have control over the weather. Uh, we certainly don't have control over uh, 2020. I mean, like what's going on in 2020? I mean, it's obvious. I mean, I'm looking out on a bunch of people in mass. It is crazy town in 2020. There's a bunch of storms out there. Like Dave said, wildfires. We've got an election year. We've got uh, racial tensions exploding all over the country. Division like never before. And we can't control a lot of those things. Many of you can't control what your boss is going to do next. If he's going to give you a, a raise or a promotion or what your financial situation is going to look like. We think that we can control those things, but all of us find ourselves in places like we're in, in 2020, where we can't control things. But the reality is, is we are all in control of the idea that better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. We are all in control of of our own posture towards God. And then our lives are, are bending towards Jesus. People can't dictate that. Nobody can control that. An election can't control my heart and my ability to walk in my life towards Jesus and of the things of God. To become not somebody that does great things for God, but somebody that bows and becomes a worshiper because that's the best thing that you could do with your life. You were made, you were created, you were fastened together to worship Jesus. That's the goal of our lives. And he's calling us to a prize, which is himself. What's interesting about worship and calling us to worship him above all else, God is both gaining the praise that is rightfully his alone and causing us to gain the greatest treasure that we will ever know. And I just want to say two things briefly. My intention for this morning was to not get up here and talk too long. Now I pray that the Holy Spirit doesn't abuse you if he comes on me, you never know. <laughs> but I, that we would come back to a place that, that we, would, we would all gain. I love this morning. And I, I obviously I love a, a, the big band sound and the drums and you know, ah, you know, all of that. But you know what I loved about this morning? is your voices, the collective of all people united together, proclaiming one name in the fame of Jesus together, recognizing almost in in a beautiful surrender in, in this. I feel like singing is in many ways a surrender. It is, it is, it's, it's us giving up and realizing that this is where the good stuff is. Somebody said in, in uh, pre-service prayer, Mike Berry, I'll just say his name. I know I'm not supposed to give people credit for awesome things, but this is awesome. He said, man, I have a word because my kids, they love to, to play in the rain, but I hate it. Like they love it to just run out there and, and run around in the rain. But I, I don't, that's not my jam. He said, but there's those times when you're holding the umbrella and the rain is coming down in such a torrent that you finally just give up. And then all of a sudden you're like, I kind of like this. 
Like, I'm not worried anymore about my clothes. I'm not worried about what I look like. I'm not worried about my hair. I've just surrendered. And there I am playing in the rain. And I think God is so faithful to us. And and for many of us, it frustrates us in life. But then there's that moment where we realize we lay aside our ego. We we lay aside all the things that have kept us in that place of dignity. And we throw down the umbrella and we allow God to wash over us and we respond to him in worship, not just in singing, but with our lives. I mean, I pray that happens in our church. I pray that happens every Sunday. I pray that as a theme for us because without it, we will never do what Dave was talking about. We'll never call anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace. We will never see the value. We will never treasure Jesus the way that God wants us to because it's good for us. And I just want to say a couple of things this morning and then we'll respond together. And hopefully, like Dave said, find ourselves in that place of the world growing strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But the first one is God does all things, everything that God does. This is profound and also going to make you think. He does all things to lead us to wonder and worship. He does everything for his glory. But what's miraculous, like I said before, it is absolutely the best thing for you and for me. Paul Tripp says that you and I are glory junkies. You were created to worship, whether you believe that or not. The apostle Paul understands it and knows it. And his eyes have been opened to the one thing that's worthy of his worship. To him be all the glory, praise and honor forever. Amen. To him is all, everything, my life. Colossians says it so well that I was created by and for him. Everything that was created was created by and for him, including me. We were created to worship and, and we see that indication in us, right? We will, we will find things to praise. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. If we're not lifting up the creator of the universe, we're lifting up the creation. We find things that we love, that we adore, that we lean towards, that we will lose our dignity over. But God's intention is that we allow our eyes to roll up to who he is. And there's this beautiful thing about worship. And there's this beautiful thing about us not being the center. We are in a me-centered culture like never before. But God didn't create us to be the center, did he? We were never meant to carry that weight. And John Piper says this, one of my favorite quotes, because it's absolutely true. And if we all think about it and rest in it, we'll feel that this morning. He says, self-forgetfulness in the presence of majesty is the capstone of joy. Let that sink in for a minute. I know John Piper has a way with words. Self-forgetfulness in the presence of majesty is the capstone of joy. And if you're not tracking with that, this idea that there's moments in life, think about this, there's moments in life. I I recently, probably within the last month, uh, I went out to my in-law's farm uh, with all my kids. Jack was going to college and we spent a couple nights out there. And one of the things that I love about being out there is there's no street lights. There's no, you know, you, you can get in complete darkness. But what you realize when you are in complete darkness is it's not completely dark out. You will see something that you cannot see right here in Jacksonville Beach or in Jacksonville unless you go out to Guana State Park. It is the Milky Way like in clarity where you're like, there really is. It's not just in books and in pictures, it is up there. And every time you walk outside at night, if the moon's low and you look up, you will see the Milky Way. And you know what happens in that moment? You forget yourself. You are in awe and wonder. And you know what? 
forgetting myself and all of a sudden taking myself off the table. Abe, Ella, um, and myself went out late one night while we were there and, and just stared, at, stared up. I mean, there's something in the human heart that wants to do that. And in that moment, self-forgetfulness in the presence of majesty brings me joy. I realize there's something bigger and greater than myself. I realize that everything certainly cannot rest on my shoulders. There's somebody carrying this. There's somebody that made all that. There's somebody that set that in motion. And in that moment, there's self-forgetfulness. It's, it's the, nobody stands on the, the edge of the Grand Canyon and looks out and goes, man, I'm awesome. I am great. No. In that moment, you feel absolutely tiny and insignificant, but also you feel absolutely amazing because in that moment you realize there is, there is something so much more in control than I could ever be. And it leads us to this place of worship. It's interesting, a, an atheist kind of modern philosopher named Jason Silva, some of you know him from Brain Games, um, but he is uh, one of the smartest people, you know, talking about things today. And I, I mean, I, I pray for him to become a Christian because the way that he thinks and, and, and wraps your heart around what the human desires are is pretty incredible. And he says, one of the most, he says, philosophers over the ages, one of the most crazy things that you, you would never think about, but is absolutely true that brings ecstasy to the human heart. And again, this guy's not a Christian, he says, philosopher after philosopher says, ego death. That moment when you realize that giving up and surrendering my ego actually brings me ecstasy. When you, I think one of the philosophers says, when you finally jump off the cliff of your ego, you realize at the bottom, there's a feather bed. And in that is the process of you and I finding ourselves in a place of worship. You know, Augustine says, the, the, the interesting thing about humans, he says, when you, when you look at the majesty of planet Earth, I mean, the seven wonders of the world, you walk outside at night, look up the sky like we were talking about. He said, in the, in the world of God, that is like the groom that puts the ring on the bride's finger. And all the beauties of the world are that ring. And we know what that's, that's like, right? I mean, that is a big deal when that happens. I mean, Gerald and Abby, they know what that's all about, right? I mean, and then you see all the, the Instagram posts, you know, of, man, it's hot in September. You know what I mean? You see all the, you know, this is my this is spice vanilla latte. Ho, ho. You know what I mean? But, but that's, that's the, the majesty and the beauty and the wonder of creation. But the idea is not that we become enamored with that. The idea of that is that we understand just how much he loves us that we understand who, that our eyes roll past the ring to a creator that cares so much for us that he laid down his life for us, that in common grace, we get to experience incredible things here on planet earth. That's the ring that should lead our hearts all the way up to him. That's what the apostle Paul started out saying in Romans chapter one, that we've lost in some way because we've become enamored with the creation and not the creator. We've become enamored with the ring and not the ring giver. It's why at, 
at Ocean City Church, I've said this many times that, that in student ministry and children's ministry, I, I, I was in college ministry for so many years and 18 to 25 year olds, they, they find themselves in a zone where they hit the eject button on God. I'm telling you, they walk away and they are walking away in droves from Christianity. And one of the problems that exists is they, they experience church, but they don't experience worship. They experience church. They experience what it means to adhere to rules and regulations. And they think that what it means to obey, not that obedience isn't part of our response in worship, but they think obedience is the, what it means to be in a life with God. And for us, I would rather send our kids off. I'd rather send our students off to college as worshipers because then they have a chance. When, they're out, when they really begin to realize that there's something to treasure and worship, then they have a shot in college to stay connected and knit to the heart of God while they're there. Otherwise, they have no shot. If we just want to teach them how to obey, how to keep rules, how to be good kids, we've lost what you want for your kid, what you want for your child, what I want for my own heart is to be a worshiper of Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul is leading us all to in this moment, because the posture of worship is humility. I love that, that he says, who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? But we love to counsel, don't we? We love to look up at God and say, God, why are you doing this? I wouldn't do it this way. I mean, we do it in life. I mean, we are the armchair quarterbacks in our me-centered world, you know? They should throw the ball more. I don't understand why he won't throw the ball more. Why did they draft Fournette? You know, I mean, we, we do it, but we do it in our life with God. But worship puts us in this posture of humility to say, who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? So God does everything. What he is doing is even, even as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, he did it. We, we, we look at it in, in, in a myopic way sometimes, like Jesus loves me. And that's why he poured out the, the, the wrath on Jesus and Jesus died and was, was raised from the dead. But primary purpose was worship. Primary purpose was to highlight God's glory, not that he needed it, but that he's worthy of it. And it's the best thing for you and for me. Secondly, the best worship is grounded in who God is, not grounded in our circumstances. How unsearchable and untraceable are his judgments and his ways. We just don't know when we're standing in certain circumstances why he does what he does. And what will confound people on planet earth when it comes to your worship is not when all things are good and you have all the money, you've got all the stuff, you've got the right job, you've got the right girl, you've got the right house, you've got all the things put together and you say, praise God, you are so good to me. What will confound people on planet earth and say they, they've, they've found something different. They've found something other. They found a true anchor is when you find yourself in the valley but your worship is just as intense in the valley as it was on the mountaintop. You know, I have a friend of mine, his name is Larry Ballou, and, and we used to play in a on a worship team together. He played keys, he was really good. Um, and we both, at the same time, it was interesting that it happened at the same time, but we both started having like some neurological issues where we had numbness and tingling in certain parts of our body and then some pain and then some progressive symptoms. And we were kind of trying to figure it out together. We were going to similar doctors, doing some similar stuff, you know, doing the you know, dreaded word, you know, Googling everything, looking and going, oh my gosh. Um, but his symptoms progressed quicker than, than mine and he 
started to lose function in his uh, left hand completely where, you know, I could, couldn't clench completely in my left hand, but he's all of a sudden, he's locked up and then he started slurring his speech and things started progressing with him. Then he thought it was a neck injury. He thought something was going on, um, but he was soon diagnosed with ALS. And what was interesting about Larry is in that moment, you know what, what the world would, would believe? And this is the power of God. What the world would believe in that moment is, is Larry would stand and, may, and, and I'm sure he did at some point. Why? And go as far away from the things of God as he possibly could. I am mad. Who would give somebody a death sentence, let alone a death, death sentence like ALS? Because I can't think of a more horrible way to die. The slow stripping away of everything that you are, everything that you think that makes you, you. But you know what Larry did? Because he knew worship was the place that he needed to be. He continued to play in the band. One-handed, he played keys. Did it as long as he could until he couldn't play anymore. And then for the rest of his life, every time the church doors were open and he could find himself a place to, to worship and be in the presence of God, he was there. When he was in a wheelchair, he'd have his wife wheel him right to the front, tears in his eyes and worshiping like nobody's business. Every time there was, you know, a worship band or anything at the arena, I'd run into him. I'd see him. I'd see, you know, the, the handicap section. And sure enough, there's Larry going for it in worship. Now, right that, that right there leads people to Jesus because people see that and they say, there's something different. There's something other than they've stumbled into some God-given prosperity that's given them money or given them success. Look at me, I know God and I've got a Cadillac. Larry was like, I have ALS and God is the king of the universe and I'm gonna be with him and I can't wait. And he's with him right now, looking Jesus in the eyes face to face. The best worship is not grounded in our circumstances. It's grounded in who God is. And it's why we sing songs like there's another in the fire, you know, there's somebody in it with me. The cross of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of our worship should show us that. I mean, you talk about a, if God can take a torturous death and resurrect it to life, a glorious life in Jesus, then he can do anything in any circumstance. And he's worthy of our worship. This beautiful savior, he never stops working. He never stops pursuing us. You know, as we, just before we, we sing again and transition, I, you know, I, I was thinking about David who, you know, people call him a worship leader. Like he's the, the first, you know, kind of known, like he's the worship leader. You know, he's the guy that, that leads the worship. But what defined David's life was not that he was a worship leader. What defined his life was that he was a worshiper. He would rather, he was the one that wanted to be in the presence of God. He is the one that says, I will be a door holder. I will be the one that, that serves in the quiet, alone places. If I, can, if I can spend time in the house of God, I'd rather, I'd rather be the servant. I'd rather be the one that holds the door I'd rather spend a, 
spend time doing that than, than doing anything else, than a thousand days elsewhere. I'd rather be in your courts. I'd rather be the one. And he says in Psalm 8, he's the one that, that stares at the sky and he doesn't even know the science that we know and the magnitude of what he's looking at. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's hitting his heart. He says, oh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The sun, the moon, the stars, you've set all these things in place. You've put them in the positions that they're in. Oh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you know what he says in the center of that? I can't believe how big you are. I can't believe that you made everything. I can't believe everything that I experienced that's wonderful. Everything that I see on planet earth, the rivers, the mountains, the stars, the sky, the moon, the sun, all of those things, you've made them and you care for me. You're mindful of me. You know my name and you know me. I think that's the heart of it, isn't it? Because, you know, I was thinking about how we like to worship and, and how we're worshipers. And who likes, to, who, go, who likes to go to concerts? Anybody, a concert person? There's a lot of you, you love music, right? Where do you, where's your best and favorite seat? You know, where do you wanna be? Do you wanna be in the rafters or do you wanna be on the floor? You wanna be on the floor, as close as you can get to the stage, right? I wanna, I wanna be, I wanna, I wanna get there. I wanna be where everything is. I wanna be surrounded by the music. I wanna be in the zone. And I, I've always had this thought, like concerts are amazing, but how amazing would they be if we actually knew the dude, you know, that's singing or the, the lady that's singing? Like I know, the, I know them and they know me, you know, I'm in, I'm in row, I'm, I'm in seat 1A, front and center, right? Like it's amazing to be at a concert and we lift our hands and we, we go crazy. But what if, what if that's, we know them and they know us, I know him, you know? That guy, he's shredding on guitar right now. Seth Johnson, I know him. And he knows me. Man, they're great. Yeah, they are, guess what? I know them. But even greater than that, even more amazing than that. You know, I read articles this week of, of kids that grew up with famous rock star parents and how there was so much of their life early on that they didn't realize how big a deal their parents were. Like they were just like kind of wandering around and, and as elementary age kids and as in their early adolescence, just like, yeah, my dad's not that big a deal. You know, he's embarrassing. And then there was this moment. I mean, I probably read 30 different stories. I got a little sidetracked. There's this moment, all of them, it was right in later adolescence where they woke up and they realized, my dad is awesome. I can't believe what he can do. I can't believe who my dad is, how famous he is, how amazing he is. And I thought it would be great to be in that place and in, in, in seat 1A and know that my dad's on stage and He's my dad and he, he doesn't just know me, but he loves me. But you know what's crazy? I, I, wanna, I wanna show you this picture because I, I, don't, I don't know why this made me tear up when I, I just thought about God. Now, you probably don't know who that is, but my family's a little bit obsessed with Chris Martin and Coldplay. <laughs> and that's their son, Moses, which I love that his name is Moses, leading us through the desert this morning. Um, Could you imagine 
Like he's at his birthday party and his dad is Chris Martin from Coldplay and he's accompanying me on keys. Isn't that crazy? And I just looked at that and I teared up and my mind immediately went to Ephesians chapter two. And I just thought it's better than just being out in the crowd thinking that's my dad. And but in our trespasses, we had no shot with God. But in verse four, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And listen to this. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace. It's the wake up call where we're seeing him face to face expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift that you're on that stage with your brother Jesus and with God your Father. Not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Seated. We're going to see one day we're going to have the full wake-up call. We're going to find ourselves out of the adolescence of walking by faith on planet Earth. And we are going to realize and wake up who's accompanying our life, but leading our life. But we have an opportunity right now, right here, where we see dimly on this side of heaven. We see through a glass darkly, Apostle Paul says. Soon we will see face to face and we're going to go, <gasps> That's what the Apostle Paul's doing here. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Let's stand. God, open our eyes to see you. We want to know you better. You are so available to us and we want to be awestruck. We want to be in a place of worship. We want to be humbled. We want to, we want to know you. We want to forget ourselves in the presence of your majesty. We want to take all of the burdens that we carry, thinking that we are the point of the story, and we want to lay them at your feet and say, thank you. Thank you for inviting me into the unending ocean of grace. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for seeing me the way that you see me, as a son, as a daughter. Just come, Holy Spirit.